Hey folks, I'm Anna Marie and this is Generative Welding, the podcast where we hold the perspective that the way that we approach our actions, how we're being in the world and how we are in relationship with each other generates this and new worlds. As a podcast, we embody this world generating through five qualities. Generative curiosity when meeting new or familiar ideas, giving space to the multitude of wisdoms that us humans carry within us and have access to, from gut wisdom to mind wisdom and to heart wisdom. Exploring what's alive right here in this moment, weaving and deepening webs of relationships and co-creating generative welding as a commons. One way that generative welding gives space to our human wisdom is through encouraging and celebrating thoughtful pauses during these conversations. I hope you enjoy hearing these. For this first episode, I had the pleasure of talking to my dear friend and often collaborator, Meg Buzzy. I met Meg a number of years ago through mutual friends and felt an instant friendship and collaboratorship which has only grown stronger. I love Meg's warmth with me and everyone I've seen her be in a room with. Her commitment to full attention listening and the kind and gentle way she offers people insights gathered from her over 20 years of work as a facilitator, consultant and coach. And I love how I leave every space I've shared with her with at least one nugget, insight or offer that will activate something in my life. There are so many nuggets and insights offered by Meg during this conversation. I imagine you'll find the same too. So let's generate worlds together. We start each episode of Generative Worlding with a check-in. When I'm in new groups or new teams, I see a check-in as meaning different things to different facilitators. I personally really love the question, what's alive in you right now? Or what's it like being you right now as a check-in? because I think it gives us so much um, information. So let's go with that for our framework, for our check-in. So what's alive in you right now? Well, I feel like summer is finally here, which feels funny to say in mid-July, mid to late July. But um, when I think of summer, I think of... Um, the celebration of things that are completed uh, and, and a sort of abundance. So it's it's almost like, to me, summer is like a milestone. Like, I've integrated something. I've gotten to the end of a season. Um, mm. It's okay to relax now. Uh, and so I feel like I'm arriving with permission to relax and to have fun. How about you? Hmm. I'm really aware of my body right now. Like I can feel my heart going and there's like sensations in my shoulders and my hands. It's very kind of alive for me. I'm really excited to be doing this first episode with you. That feels really, really special to me. I'm so grateful um, 
as I sit here with you, like it's just really alive to me, our friendship and our relationship. Um, I feel that I think every time I'm in the space with you and I feel that really fully now. There's curiosity about how this is going to unfold. I'm holding an intentionality to try and allow it to be what it is. And that feels quite challenging in some ways. I've been trying to stop myself from rehearsing too much. There's something I'm birthing here. And so I feel that responsibility in my chest. So all of that is very alive. Nice. Well, I, I want to say congratulations. It's born. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Ta-da! We used to say in coaching school, like anytime anybody made a gesture, we would say, ta-da, like you did a thing. Um, And to celebrate even these micro moments, even if it doesn't feel real yet, Um, which is kind of like what generative worlding is all about, but we'll we'll get to that later. But um, (laughs) also just want to say, I feel similarly very grateful and... Um, I feel kind of like I I imagine, well, when I was a little kid, I always thought about pen pals as like Mm -hmm. the most sort of magical, enchanting, mysterious, because, because I grew up pre-internet. And so, um, I guess I just want to add that one of the magical feelings it feels like to be in space with you, um, since we've never met in person is almost like you're this pen pal on the other side of the ocean. Um, and we love the same things yeah. and we're excited about a lot of similar things. And so it just feels, um, yeah, like we're crafting a little spell together. It does feel like that. That's such a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I've never, um, I've almost never really noticed that we haven't met because it's been so easy to create a friendship with you. Yeah, we're just, just like being surprised at how real and intimate friendships can be through this, like, tech. This strange ethereal <laughs> thing that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, through this like airwave or like this postal service or you know. I mean, really, what what we're even doing right now is is something out of science fiction. The way you and I have connected through technology, the way we even met each other, was made possible. It feels like I don't know. I think about these these nineteen fifties cartoons where people spoke on video phones to one another. Yeah. And so we're there, yet like we're in a world right now that you and I created that was made possible by some wild ideas. Mm, Talking of ideas, the springboard for this episode's conversation is a text that you sent to me as part of a conversation. The text reads, we are in times of great chaos and sometimes our clients show up in it. We are in times of great chaos, and sometimes our clients show up in it. What was a lie for you when you wrote that text, and what's a lie for you now when I read it back to you? I I don't think I'm going to say anything that 
hasn't already been said probably by people a lot more accomplished than me. But when I think of times of chaos, um, what's alive for me is that all of us alive right now are living through the failure of all of our major systems. Our food systems, transport, education, political, um, we're kind of at this juncture. Mm, I I very much recognize that. Um, Not only that our major systems are falling or failing, um, but living through the failure can leave us feeling very chaotic. To give our listeners some context about um, why you wrote that text, it was in response to an experience that I'd recently had as a facilitator. I had been contracted to facilitate a meeting for a group that I was new to, um, and that were new to me as a facilitator. And I found that meeting so challenging. People couldn't get into the Zoom room that I'd set up, um, and I'd never had problems with the Zoom before. I found the group to be on the whole very unresponsive and uncommunicative when I was prompting them or asking for feedback. Um, And I really quickly realized that my plan for the meeting wouldn't work, perhaps in the first, say, 10 minutes. And for some reason, um, the situation quickly affected my nervous system and I felt unable to really be in my body in that situation. I left the session feeling really devastated um, and I shared about the situation in a group that we're both in. And you replied with sending hugs and reassurance. We are in times of great chaos and sometimes our clients show up in it. You held space and that was the most important part. Your message, not only your warmth and your understanding, but your um, your insight into the effect of these times for us as facilitators and as members of a group really stayed with me. And it's, it's still something that I think about. Um, it has left me thinking a lot about how the reactions to the system failures are affecting how I can be in groups and how I show up when I am in the facilitator role. People react to failure in really different ways. Or that that sense, maybe they don't even register it as failure. They're just like frustrated with the systems. And so they're like just in a state of reaction all the time. Like I I think about um, the fairy tale Rumpelstiltskin. Mm-hmm. Do you know this? Yeah. And so a lot of times... I see my clients in what I would call a Rumpelstiltskin moment where they are like in a tantrum. They're like, they just don't want something to change or they're just like, they see it's changing or they're, they see the failure. I don't know what it is, but they're, you know, they're in this moment of stomping their feet and shaking their fists and it's a reaction to the uncertainty, the chaos that they can't control. And 
it took me a long time to not take it personally because I had to first identify where I was in a tantrum about the state of the world. (laughs) You know, like where am I being petulant? Where am I being just totally chaotic? And that, I don't know, that started to give me compassion that, that my clients were showing up, they were like showing up dysregulated. And so then I was like, okay, how, as a facilitator, what do I do with that? Cause like you're saying, it can feel in those moments, like a total panic as the facilitator. Cause you're like, what do I do to get my arms around us? Or how do I even make this space viable for people to, to be together? Um, Yeah. And I don't want to jump into solutions. I'll just say that what's alive for me is like really getting in touch with the reactionary tantrum feelings people are having to me in relationship to these big systems that they can't shift that are like messing up everywhere. You know, I don't know. I'm super curious what you think about any of that. (laughs) Mostly, I really appreciate the empathy and awareness that you have of complexity that's playing out in a room. So the hidden and visible dynamics as group members and as facilitators. What kind of what kind of invisible dynamics are you seeing play out within groups that are showing up um, in such a chaotic way? Is there grief is there frustration is there fear there's always a trigger and i'll clarify by saying that you know when i when i use the word tantrum or even rumple stiltskin i meant it quite literally like people yelling their faces getting red even over zoom like these sort of very large emotional responses uh, that, that, like you said, it belies that there's something else going on. It can't just be about uh, Form 623. Um, so what I see, I mean, there's lots of things. There's There's like a trigger that's just a fear of change. There's a trigger, I mean... The trigger I see most often, which is one that I share, is when someone doesn't feel heard or recognized. Mm. Like they don't feel seen by whoever's in the room. You're as a facilitator, you're trying to hold space for them to like break through to that other side where they like they have to kind of see what their responsibility is in it or how, you know, how they might shift or, um, yeah, I think like just to come back to your original question, what is the thing? The trigger for me, for most people is just feeling unseen that Mm -hmm. their point of view, their perspective is unseen or unrecognized and therefore, it doesn't count. 
And when you have these like monolithic systems that aren't doing their job, you know, like the healthcare system isn't working and et cetera, you know, when these systems aren't living up to the expectations, um, I think we're just in a time where people are really having to wrangle with these like these ideas that they had about what life was supposed to be like. Did we get too far down the path there? No, I love this path. When you're facilitating, are you responding to the visible dynamics as they are showing up in the room? Or are you responding to the invisible ones too? So one thing that I've noticed about myself as a facilitator um, that I'll experience it. So one thing I noticed about myself as a facilitator is that I'll experience an individual or group as they're with me in that moment. So how a group shows up with me is how I'll respond to or is what I'll respond to. And often this will then give us a route into what's playing out invisibly. But sometimes it doesn't. And I find that it's through reflection with, say, for example, my husband, that I'll often get a possible insight into what's going on beneath the surface. I find that my husband has this incredible ability to see beneath immediate behavior um, almost instantly. And when we reflect on the same experiences, he, he will often hold a different view of what's happening. And that will really enrich my understanding and then how I can respond. When you're with a client um, and they're having a tantrum and you suspect or know something else is playing out beneath the surface, what's your approach? Um, you could say like, what's in your toolbox? There's so much awesome stuff in what you were saying. Um, wow. One thing I wanted to point out is that I love that you you articulated the difference between how you and your partner show up in or or analyze or examine mm -hmm. or process certain kinds of situations. And I would say that's the number one key right there is that um, you have this partner. You're not working alone. And so you're taking advantage of the fact that actually he has a second perspective that complements your own. 100%. And I'm not saying he's your work partner, but... Um, like to me, you just demonstrated like the reason why I don't work alone anymore. Because once you know yourself, like you know yourself enough to know, oh, I have this gap or I have this, I have a way of being that could be complemented by a second frame. Um. Yes. So absolutely. Yeah. So like all of those are needed. Uh, he just, you don't have to yes. be. Yeah, exactly. Because you trust him to do it for you. Absolute trust. And yeah, it is so important to me now that I have that. And it's so important to me that you were able to text me in the way that you did and bring my attention to something that beyond my immediacy. So yeah. Yes. So that's, that's my number one, which you've already discovered, which is like, teammates, partners, mates, whatever you want to call the people that are your trusted mirrors that are going to show you, they're going to show you the back of your dress because you can't see it to make sure like you're 
undies aren't sticking out or something. Um, and I think that's really important. So we're allowed to invite that, uh, ask for that in our work environments too. Um, help me be excellent. Uh, I rely on you to tell me things like you yourself. I rely on you to tell me things that I'm not sensitive to. I know you're going to see things I won't see. That's like one of the things I trust about you is that you're looking, you're looking at different textures. You have different lenses. Um, so that, that's the first thing that comes to mind from your question. The second is just meeting people. Yeah. Meeting people in the present moment, which is what you do. And, and just practicing that deep, deep listening. And if you're not working alone, you have a partner like your partner who's in the back of the room kind of just observing. That way you get to be present. Do you mostly work with someone else in the room as opposed to a solo facilitator? That's my preference now. So I've I've been facilitating for about two decades now. And most of that was solo. And then since COVID, I just made a promise to myself really to not do this alone anymore. Because there are so many things you can see when you have another set of eyes in the room that are committed to witnessing for the good of the group. And um yeah, so that's how, yeah, so that's been maybe the last three and a half years um, has really allowed me to grow the way I collaborate and trust other people to hold rooms with me. It's been a growth curve for myself. And I found that it allows me to get more into the present moment, which is what you were describing. It allows me to be a really deep and committed listener. And, and when someone is, when a client is in a place of crisis or tantrum, what it, there's always going to be something else going on. I mean, I, I mean, there's always going to be that understory, and you may or may not have access to what that is in the moment. Uh, so, so, so number one is that having partners. Number two is just the deep listening, the, be, the being present. And then the third that I think goes along with the listening is, I'll just back up and say, I live in Los Angeles. There's a lot of TV writers here. Right. And they're very wise. They have some great frameworks for how, how they know a lot about human behavior. Um, and so one of the things that a writer told me that just really stuck with me was like, there's always two journeys. There's always two plots, two stories. There's the internal one and the external one. So there's always a journey you're going on externally. And then there's a whole process happening internally. And the two are parallel. And 
once I had that perspective, I then saw all of my clients as like people who were probably in external crisis in their profession, but were also going through some kind of internal journey. And it just shifted my perspective entirely. Uh, it made me think, oh man, now listening is even more important. Now partners are even more important because one person has to pay attention to like, what is that internal story that's happening? What is not being said out loud? What is not happening externally? I love that so much. I can feel it opening, even just imagining that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's not possible just as one human. So I think it's also possible that many facilitators feel exhausted try, because they are attempting to hold both, the, the, the unsaid and the said, as well as the design that they created in the container. Um, but what's possible when you're in group and holding as a group is this ability to recognize or honor both things that are happening. Like, because you know as well as I do in offices, in, in corporations, you, you'll get the story and then you know there's another story. You always know there's going to be a second undercurrent. Uh, to me, it takes relationships to un, untangle relationships. So so like as, as partners facilitating a room together, um, yeah, you're you're just like constructing a stronger a stronger container that can hold more complexity. That's so fascinating because I knew that you often work in partnership, but I didn't know that it was your preference to or why you prefer to work that way. Sometimes I work with another facilitator, but generally I work as the only facilitator in the room. And listening to you there's a really strong yearning in me. I can I can feel the pull in my chest to having other facilitators work alongside of me because of what you've highlighted, that having multiple facilitators means that between us, we can listen more carefully and facilitate more effectively because of the different aspects we're each noticing. When I think back to that challenging session, one of the most heartbreaking aspects of it for me was how quickly I felt like I crumbled. Um, as I said before, it's happened in the first five or 10 minutes. It was a very physical reaction. I was really surprised by the reaction. And if I had worked with them before, I'd likely have shared what was happening for me with the group as a way to dive into the dynamics together. Um, but if I think back to it, I think maybe I just didn't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, maybe it wasn't even that I didn't feel comfortable. I think the experience had made me had maybe become quite disembodied and quite ungrounded. And I imagine that if I had a partner in the room, for example, if you had been with me, I could have communicated with my partner or with you, and they could have known me well enough to recognize that I was struggling, they could have stepped in, which I think would have given me just the time that I would have needed to come back into my body and then be able to step back into the facilitation role, which I think would have happened very quickly. First, I just want to say thank you for sharing all of that. I can only speak to my own experience and where I've come to, but the reason I won't work alone anymore 
is because I feel like we are in extremely complex times and I'm triggered all the time. We are, the reason we do the change work that we do is because we're sensitive and we can read what's happening in the field. Um, it's our superpower. It's also something that we have to kind of protect and shield sometimes from all the noise. And I just realized, you know, if I want to make use of my gifts in this time of upheaval, and we're just here, I'm just going to like, I mean, I'm, I'm in the States watching the States just kind of fall apart um, inside itself. And so I can't speak for other places, although it doesn't look like anywhere else is doing a ton better. But um, in this moment, in the world, in this time, I am too sensitive to work alone. And if I'm going to do my best work and walk into these tough groups, and, and it's not like they're bad people. It's just everyone's got a lot going on. And I want to be, I, like you said, I want to be able to show up in integrity. And I know my work as a facilitator is also to practice recovering from my triggers so that I can hold the biggest possible outcome for whoever my client is. Because at the end of the day, whatever they're outrageous, however outrageously they show up, they paid me to hold that. Or they, you know, we made a contract together. Yeah. And so, like, I want to meet them where they're at, but I'm going to have to get equipped first. <laughs> And, 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 and so it challenges, it just challenges like our individual Western way of thinking, like, like this is my solo job. I'm an individual contributor. Um, it just shifts it and says like, man, and this is the last thing I'll say about this. Um, when we're working together in, in, in pairs or triads, or even like in art of hosting, we always have a whole design team and the, and the team hosts together. And in fact, it used to be that we never facilitated with like less than five on a team holding together mm. uh, so that people had all kinds of jobs and focal points that, that were their domains. And so also when we work together in that, in that facilitation, we're being a fractal of the group that we're hosting. So we're actually modeling for everyone in the room who might be in the Rumpelstiltskin mode, but we're saying, hey, look how we trust each other. You can watch us in real time. Communicate with one another. And that that's an invitation too. That's such an incredible invitation. The modeling then of the relationship in the room. I'm just noticing in all areas of my life, the importance of constellations, of webs of relationships, but I don't know that I've actually brought that in, brought that into my perspective of my own work. Well, oh, there's so much in that, but <laughs> awesome. And it's kind of like finding another part of us that's stuck in capitalism, maybe. Yes. I don't know if it's capitalism or, or what it is that individual. It's rooted in I something. I mean, we don't know we're doing it. We don't know. Our frame of reference yeah. is that we can only depend on ourselves. Yeah. This is our frame. It's the rugged individualist, at least in the States, that's what they call it. And yeah. 
It's absolute bullshit. No human on earth exists that way. But it is a narrative that is so deep inside us that we don't even know we are practicing our change work in the exact way that it's like colonial. It's like I can do it on my own. And it's it's almost silly. No, it's ridiculous. How is relationships so so saturated so many parts of my world except when it comes to work I I, with someone with with the kind of health issues I have fall utterly invisible in all the systems here in the UK Mm. and knowing the importance of collaboration knowing these webs they're so important and yet still feeling at times that utter isolation and loneliness of but I'm the only one that will help me pay my bills at the end of the day I'm the only one that Mm. if like I'm having a health flare up and I can't work for two months that will will financially or in some way beyond emotional support be there for me and I think that really saturates my work perspective I think that isolation in seeps into my perspective even as a facilitator because you know we can meet in open facilitation and you can support me in the work but at the end of the day how it still feels to me is I'm still alone in getting work I'm still alone in meeting my needs but that sense of this like oh if we just all be in community there's this instant net of support somehow doesn't feel true for me when it comes to my work. Yeah, I think that's that's very real. And um, you're right, community, I, I mean, community doesn't just emerge unless you create specific invitations or conditions for it to emerge, right? So like, like it's not, it's not the silver bullet. It's not the the big solution to everything because it takes work like anything else to leverage it as a tool. And, um, and again, we have grown up with the narrative that these systems like your national health service are going to solve this, but then, and and then, so you're socialized to think, Oh, these agencies are going to support me. Um, and so you're not raised, you're not raised to think that community is going to help you. So why would you, especially not professionally, we're raised in the like competitive kind of environment, you know, so it makes complete sense that our, that your first, like, like your first thought is, well, who's going to pay my bills, but me. And yeah, I think the world bears that out. Right. And, and, and yet, and yet the thing that, cause agree, agree. And the thing that I've had to get really vulnerable about, vulnerable about, or, or the thing that I've differentiated is the difference between community and the agreements that the community and I make together, like explicit agreements, which means I ask for things they ask for things and we're clear. Um, and so I think that's an important nuance is that community doesn't just automatically construct itself and then work as promised. It requires intention and it requires people to say what they have to offer 
and, and what they need. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's very radical. Like for me, it's, it's just been three years of the way we talk about it in our group is we call it professional polyamory. Hmm. It's like, I want to try out working on paid projects with lots of different kinds of colleagues. And, and, you know, obviously like I have my own criteria for the kinds of projects and the kinds of partners that I want to make change with. Um, so I think about it as like, what are the collaborations I'm most looking forward to? And sometimes that doesn't even include the four people that I'm in a corporation with. Right. But we've made that explicit agreement with each other that mm. like we, so, so I'll, I'll just say a little bit about that. So one agreement we all made was like, we are professionally polyamorous. Like we get to go out and collaborate with others and other networks and bring networks together. We want to be like a, an open circle, like a perforated line. You know, we want things to be able to come in and out. And another agreement we made was, okay, we're going to, even if we work independently of one another, we're going to pull a percentage of our money into the center. We decided on a certain percentage and then, every single like like a chunk of every single one of my contracts even if none of them are involved goes into the center and that's like a mutual aid pot it's there for emergencies it's there for the administration of the business um and then at the end of the year if we don't use it all we give it back to each other so it was you know we were able to define for ourselves what what felt safe okay let's you know let's put 10 or 20 or 30% into the middle and, and we'll reevaluate. But, but like to us, that was just an, exp again, practicing walking our talk. Let's do an experiment where we, we try to practice mutual aid by actually putting thousands of dollars that would have been ours into the center and then seeing what we need to do with it. And so far that's been a really successful, very positive um, positive thing for, for us as a collective. And I just want, especially in this time of freelancers having very few protections, I just want to offer people that like there's, there's experiments out there available mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, again, the podcast is called generative worlding. It's like whatever we can dream up, we can create and, and make it safe enough to try. Nice. Well, that seems like a perfect place to bring our conversation to a close. We end generative welding with a checkout with both of us sharing what's alive for us now. And then post checkout, I'm going to ask you to close the episode by considering our conversation and in light of it, sending out a blessing to whoever's listening to this. I think one of the things I'm taking away from our conversation today is, again, just, just the courage that it takes to be in this work and how we can't fake it. We don't fake it, but we can't even fake it. <laughs> um, we show up as we are and 
I'm just grateful that there are authentic and deeply feeling people like you in the world who are in this change work and we're here at the same time. So that feels incredibly special. Um, Yeah, and my blessing for everyone or the thing that I wish, the gift I want to give to everyone is is the permission, the permission and the freedom to imagine imagine what the what the greatest possible outcome might be. And and to let ourselves be as unrealistic as we want. I love that so much. Thank you. And I'm checking out with this, the always gratitude I have for you. It's still there. It's, it's, so I'm, I'm just, I'm so, so pleased that you're the first guest here. I'm leaving feeling light and energized and moved and inspired. Just so grateful to have you in my life. And same. <laughs> I'm also going to be examining how my sense of being my sense of being financially isolated is and has been leaking into my approach to facilitation and and how I work as a facilitator. And I'll be examining um the idea I'll be I'll be taking forward uh, the question of if I was if I wasn't trying to hold the facilitation in just my hands, would I therefore be able to better serve a group and to support me to better serve as a facilitator during these chaotic times? Wonderful. Oh, I'm so excited. And I I think that the biggest thing I can tell you about that shift to to working with with people is that it's so much fun. It's so much fun to know that you have someone you can count on in the room with you. Uh, and it it's just like, it feels warm. So thank, thank you. Thank you for letting us have such an amazing, wide-ranging conversation. And for, yeah, for just bringing, bringing your sight to this. 